Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Men are either winners or they are losers. Ayla is a sex researcher with a very unique background. She was an escort and a top OnlyFans creator, and her real-life experiences reveal the side of human psychology that most people keep hidden from the world. 22-plus years of 40% of men full reported cheating. Is this destroying people's lives, or is there some healing that is capable of going on? I kind of feel like we're in a culture where men are expendable now in a way that women aren't. If you want to fix the problem, the problem is not only this. I view it as like sort of like a bandage on a deeper wound. I found a video of yours on YouTube that I think is really incredible. I actually, I don't know if you know this about me. We do body language videos and videos on how to feel more confident on my channel. Uh, and you have one of the best competitive videos with mine that I've ever seen, which is on female body language of seduction. I had never thought about this on the ground floor, or what it might look like or what might be doing, you know, to me. Um, I'm wondering if you remember some of the things that are in that that were most impactful for you that women might be able to take into their lives. And if not, I can jog your memory. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah wait, but wait, but before I go into it, though, like, why did you never think about the female version? Because I was in it to get women to like me, and it's like I wasn't paying attention to the things that were drawing me. I, ha- I wasn't as curious or self-aware to go, what is happening? The other thing that I think is potentially true is that probably most women were not making a conscious effort to do some mm-hmm. of the things, those signals. I do feel like developing those signals of confidence and competence is more of a a game that young men play because they're trying to get women to like them versus women, you know, just are attractive to young men and probably don't have to spend as much time in their heads as I did when I was a younger guy. Yeah, this is true. And, and yeah. like the reason I had to become very aware of this is because I was trying to get men's money. Which <laughs> okay. Most women are not like explicitly trying to like get something out of the men the same way that like men are explicitly trying to get sex out of women. So when you mm-hmm. have like the same kind of incentives, the same sorts of uh, like requirements kick in and you're like, how do I optimize this man like coming back and having yeah. me a second time? Yeah. So I want, we can get into, uh, you know, I, if we'll do the intro, but you have uh, experience in camming, you have experience in escorting, you are a sex researcher. You've got a lot of unique takes on that. But starting with the body language, I'll tell you the cool things I saw. The two fingers together, <laughs> never thought there's like some ballerina plieing type stuff that makes your hand look far more feminine. And I do notice it. I don't know that it moved me in the same way. I'll tell you of all the things that you did, which I'd love you to run through. The one that grabbed me the most was when you shifted your vocal tonality from your head into your chest. Uh, I felt, and I showed it to a number of friends, an immediate, uncomfortable, visceral reaction of, this girl likes me. And I'm watching you on, <laughs> I'm watching you on video speaking to a hundred different people. And there's actually a moment where you, you have a cough and it, the illusion is broken in an instant. And I was like, oh my God, this is so effective. So if you're out there watching this, check that video out. Oh yeah, it really is. It's because uh, the thing is for me, it has to be conscious because I'm, I don't know. I don't know. Like I'm probably autistic or something like there's definitely something kind of strange going on in my head. So all of these things that a lot of the women around me seem to know naturally, I had to like study them consciously and be like, okay, they're doing this with their body and like 
like very deliberately add on each one of those. But yeah, there's lots of, um, you want to like appear very delicate and seductive and make sure that your angles are really good. And so mm-hmm. this like means like you want to like show off, you know, the, how slender your neck is and like keep your hands in a delicate way. It's a lot of uh, posing from modeling has the same thing. So like if you have your arm like pressed up against your body, it makes your arm look fatter. So you just want to mm. hold it. And they're all like very small details, but if you like incorporate them all like very quickly, you just, your whole body looks a little bit lighter and more feminine. And then, of course, the whole chunk of it is like indicating interest. So, mm-hmm. you know, like lean forward, like rotate your hips back, um, and you know you want to lower your head slightly below their eye line, so yeah. that you look slightly more feminine. One of the things that that occurred to me in watching is so much of what you were doing is what men have to control against. So, what you're like, men love reactivity. They love <laughs> smiling. They love knowing that you're interested in them. For young guys, one of the things that we had to teach is non-reactivity. Mm-hmm. When she says that she's a school teacher, do not jump on that and be like, oh my God, that's amazing. School teachers save the world. I, like, like There is such a tendency in men to lavish interest, praise, and signals that they're already 100% in. And it's actually in holding some of that back, playing a bit coy as a young man that you become more attractive versus right. for a woman, it's, I'm, you know, the, the fact of being interested is almost attractive in and of itself. Right. Yeah. You want to indicate like vulnerability. Cause like, this is an interesting thing when I was first, um, okay, wait, I'm rewinding slightly, but a big part of marketing for OnlyFans is posting on Reddit. And you have to like sort of farm content a little bit. Like I had like a rotation. I would post 10 rotating mm. photos per day to the setting subreddits, but you get to have captions on these photos. And so I had a really high sample size of the kinds of captions that worked better versus not. Um, and of course there's some randomization in here, but a lot of the captions that worked well were the ones that indicated some sort of inevitability for sex. Like the, the power, like the, the fact that the man has to put in any effort is completely removed. So like captions like, Oh no, we're the last two people on earth. Like, I guess I have to, or like, Oh, you've been assigned to my bunk at this breeding summer camp. Like just like silly, goofy shit where like a guy can conceivably be like, wow, I'm in this fantasy world where like, like the woman is like needs me for some kind of reason. And I think this is really reflected in the body language thing. You have to show that like, you desperately need him for some reason, which is the vulnerability, which is like, like you said, completely opposite. Like I was thinking about like, you want like sort of like head movements as like a girl and like if a guy, if you're trying to indicate being like dominant, you really don't want your head to move whatsoever. I got like really into studying pickup artistry for a while when I, it worked on me at one point and I was like, fuck, <laughs> it works on me, I need to know what's happening. So like, I got really into it for a little bit. That was my, uh, that was sort of the hook into the world of personal development for me when I was 17 or 18 years old, found the book, The Game. And it was the first time mm-hmm. I went, oh, like my life is not simply a predetermined river down which I will flow with my nerdy interests and get, you know, get that outcome if I can sort of, and at the point, that point it was manipulate my behavior, manufacture, create a bit of an avatar out of myself. I can get different reactions. I've since come to feel that uh, there's a fine line between learning new habits to become a more, you know, presentably attractive individual and completely losing touch with your authenticity, which I've, you know, uh, really wanted to pull back from. I'm, is that something that you've encountered or struggled with throughout the presenting of yourself at being constantly interested in men that you're probably not really feeling that for? Yeah. Yeah. Because like, as you know, the thing that you authentically are is not the thing that is most optimal for getting laid. And the mm. thing that I naturally am is not the most optimal for gaining money from men. 
It's not. And so like, I, I had this when I first started being a, a cam girl. When I first started, I was like, I want to be as genuine as possible. I don't want to put on an axe. I don't want to be some like stupid, sexy girl, but like subject to the incentives of like the, the way that my free cams, which is the campsite I used to work at works is that the less money that you earn per hour, the more you drop through the rankings, like on average, which means it's quite high pressure. Like if you want to continue to make money, you need to be making money when you're online. So subject to these pressures, very different incentive. I eventually like slowly over time realized that the thing that I was doing was not making them interested in me. And if I created this like fake girl, like that's the thing that men wanted and wanted to tip. Um, Like the thing that I am, is not sexually attractive to the majority. (laughs) But the thing is like, I'm not trying to be in my personal life. I'm not trying to be sexually attractive to the majority of men. I'm like very Mm -hmm. happy to be off-putting to 99%. It's like the 1% that's really into the thing that I am. I'm I'm happy with that. Mm. So let's talk about what is interesting to a broad uh, group of men. Now, most men think, you know, I like this breast to waist to hip ratio or this hair color or this eye color, whatever. Uh, You identified a number of very, I think, deeply true sometimes. Well, I don't want to put a moral judgment on it, but there's there's a bit of disturbingness that I think some people will have at what is attractive. The one that made me go yeesh was when you discussed the need and the feeling of men wanting to have power over you. And that that was best felt in them when they made you do things that you didn't want to do. So can you like sort of break that down a little bit? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I would, I would say like a slightly more sympathetic variation on that, which is, uh, like you have a sense of your power when there is tension mm-hmm. and it, most men are not like cruel sociopaths. Most men are not like getting off on the fact that like I'm suffering or something, mm-hmm. but there's definitely an aspect where like, if uh like by giving some resistance the power becomes clear so it becomes like quite salient and you have like a visceral sensation of it so if you're like oh man i'm so like i've never like orgasmed three times in a row that seems like Mm -hmm. scary and bad like if you can put some sort of like this is a hill for you to climb this is something that like i have some incentive to do whether it's like artificial or not then men are like ah like if i can get you to to pass this sort of thing that you're supposedly expressing you don't want to do uh then i feel like, like I have some sort of direct visceral contact with you as a person. Like I am having an impact. Impact mm-hmm. is just like really giving them an opportunity to just demonstrate impact on you is important. Yeah, it's unfortunately it's, I mean, you've gained, you gained that signal of that's, that's usually a very honest signal of authenticity is when someone goes, oh no, I couldn't possibly. It's like, oh, I found their boundary. Inside of that is, you know, their person. And if they move that boundary to accommodate me, that means we're in authentic relationship. (laughs) And it's like, no, no, no. I found out that I could put a fake boundary out here, break that fake boundary. And now you think you're, oh. So, I mean, this brings me in a ton of directions. So it seems like one of the things that is, you mentioned this and is that is needed in these interactions is validation. Do you find that from the perspective of the man who was paying for that, that they were receiving what they wanted in a way that was lasting or meaningful to them, or at least as lasting as any other purchase that you might make or in, in terms of feeling, feeling some sort of internal need for that validation? Well, I think it's, it's difficult to say from their perspective because I don't know. But there is a lot of times where I do feel like there was a legitimate validation going on. Mm-hmm. Like often these men are not great at sex, but – Often I still really enjoyed their company and really did find their jokes funny. You know, like the thing is that you just don't, they didn't get like the negative signals. Like sometimes I would have been like, wow, I don't like that joke or something, which, and mm-hmm. so they didn't get that signal, which is the difference. But generally speaking, uh, I actually had a great time with most of them. 
Uh, and if they came away from that, like feeling like, wow, like I can have a good interaction with a woman where she likes me, like, that doesn't quite feel wrong. Like I'm just like younger and hotter than they are. And so like, I'm out of their league right now. Uh, but like, if I weren't, I very well could be dating them. Yeah. And I mean, if you remove the sex aspect, which I actually think is, I could be wrong, not the core emotional thing that is needed in that relationship. It's not unlike therapy in a lot of ways. And so, you know, I, I have a therapist and, you know, I'm sure that she likes me and has, has generally positive regard for me. But like, if I stopped paying her, I don't know that she'd want to get on the phone with me every week yeah. and talk about only my, my life and my problems. In fact, I'm, I'm damn certain that she wouldn't. So I guess what I'm, I, I do you see that parallel between the therapist role of, you know, yeah. sincere but somewhat feigned one-sided support where like, look, I'm here to meet your needs and you're here to meet my financial needs, but there is still hopefully some sort of, I guess what I'm asking is like, is this destroying people's lives or is there some healing that is capable of going on in I these? I think it's absolutely ex- healing. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I can't like obviously speak for them, but my, mm-hmm. my guess is it's on net quite more beneficial than it is harmful. I I think you're right that like a lot of men are using this for more therapeutic purposes, but I think for men, therapy and sex are quite intertwined. I guess Mm -hmm. it's difficult to differentiate them because there's something like you just want to somebody accepts you as a person. And for women being accepted as a person is a default because you're like fundamentally valuable because you have a womb. Mm -hmm. Uh, Men don't get this at all. And so I think like women like haven't really experienced like the lack of this thing. And so like have trouble understanding it a little bit better. Um, but for men, like in order to feel like okay and at peace, you need to have somebody being there. Your semen is worth it, bro. Like there's like some fundamental psychology shit from like our evolution, right? Like this is what it means to be like safe and valued as a person. Mm. Is, is you just can't separate those two things. Yeah, to be received and desired sexually, it feels very core to what it is to be received necessary on the planet as a man. I do think that there's some deep biological truth uh, you know hopefully meditation can break you out of that cycle but I, I totally agree with you um one of the other things that you mentioned with male psychology in your post that I thought was fascinating was this competitive nature that you were able to tap into can you talk a little bit about what competition means to men yeah okay so this this is interesting uh because of the co- comparison between camming and, and only fans have you heard mm-hmm. me talk about this, the comparison at all I've read two separate articles, but I don't know that I ever heard the direct comparison made. Okay, so with my free cams, uh, the the way this works is you have, you know, kind of like this. There's a broadcast. I'm saying, hello, it's live. People are, you know, typing things at me. You can see the chat. You respond to the chat. People tip in the chat, and then you do things. Um, And so the core feature of this is that all of them are visible to each other. It's like I'm hanging out in a room with a bunch of other guys. And so the guys can see each other tip. They see me reacting to other men. So this naturally fosters a super competitive environment where like you get one guy who rises to the top. Like the purpose of tipping is not just to make me happy, but to demonstrate dominance over the other Mm. men. Like, because you're doing it to like the cheers, like everybody can see that you are the guy that gets the girl. Yeah. Um, But so what's interesting to me is that like for a long time, I figured that this was like basically the best way to uh, get money to get men to pay you things Mm -hmm. is like the competitive nature. And to be fair, it's like, it is true, but like uh, OnlyFans is very different. Only fans, the men are separated from each other. It's like the panopticon where it's like a bunch of like each, each man is in like a stall and they can only see the girl, but the girl can see all of them. Yeah. And so and only fans is constructed deliberately in this way to give everybody a very individual experience. Like you kind of feel like you're the only guy on a girl's page often. Mm. Um, like the girls are able to send mass DMs that sound customized, for example. 
Um, and so th this surprisingly makes more money. I wouldn't have predicted it. I think I, my model was incorrect before OnlyFans wow. came along. Because it, it, suddenly you have all of these men who like had no place, no place in the dominance hierarchy. Suddenly get to be like the number one, the dominant one in their own hierarchy of one. Mm. And that just somehow turns out to make way more money. You, when I think about it and like I was reflecting on how, how I have felt that competitive yes in my own life with regards to dating. And when I've been like, no, I want the competition to stop now. And it's almost as if that the My Free Cams represents the courting stage of dating where it's like, look, we're all out. We're all like preening ourselves, presenting ourselves at the bar or whatever. Um, and you can see me get her. And I have felt that rush of I'm the best here. You know, like that, that is a feeling that is good. What you're saying is what makes more money is the girlfriend experience of I am dating this person. They are exclusive to me. I no longer want to think about, deal with, be made nervous about competition because I have been selected. Uh, and I've, I've, I don't know. I feel both of those have occurred in my life. There's times where the competition feels, uh, I'm almost ashamed to say, like that's felt like part of the point <laughs> at certain times in my life. Uh, and then, you know, once you get past that, you're, I, I don't want any more competition. I, I'm now, now that makes me nervous. Yeah, it's, 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 do you know these baboons in Africa? I feel the specific subspecies. And you know that they call their mating works? Are you familiar I, with I, I'm, so I'm familiar. I've read like Sex at Dawn and things like that. Uh, you, are, it's, is it the, um, I think it begins with an M, but go ahead, tell me about it. I don't remember. I haven't read Sex at Dawn, so. Okay. But, no, there's this baboon species. I mean, this is very common for a lot of animal mm -hmm. species, but this specific species, I think that might be the hamadryamus or however you say it, I don't know, where right. it's like the males will get a, like a female pod and basically like won't allow the females like with past like six feet away from the male, basically at all times. Mm -hmm. um, and so you get like this collection, this tribe, this collection of like one male with like, you know, 10, 15 females in, as pods. And then that's the tribe. And then just, you have this ring of unattached males, like circling the outside. A divided society of males. Mm. Uh, the orangutans are similar. Orangutans have a physical change that happens when they become dominant. The, you know, the, the big flanges on the side of orangutans faces, they only get yeah. those when they're the dominant male in, in the area. If you're not dominant, you, you physically are a different kind of subspecies of male, like a different stage of development. And you cannot advance that stage until you become like the dominant. And so I'm saying that like, I think that there's some element of this, like you sort of have like men are either winners or they are losers, mm. uh, kind of evolutionary speaking. Whereas like women are kind of just like a generic, like medium winner all the time, mm -hmm. right? You don't have to worry about it. And so the, my free cams, I think is much more analogous to like the baboon tribe or the orangutans where you get, mm -hmm. it's, it's like feeding one in the middle. <laughs> Only fans is the hack. Only fans is like, Hey, you can be the leader of your own little harem of baboons. You know, it's like mm -hmm. it finally like made, manages to monetize the the like Saturn's orbit ring of like completely single <laughs> primates. Yeah, yeah. What I'm speaking internally, and this just might be my own weirdness. Like, uh, but I've seen it in friends as well. It's it's strange to untangle how much, and I don't think it's the majority, but there is some of my dating history, experience, and preferences are not directly determined by like. I like what I'm looking at. I like interacting with this person, but I like the reflected, usually male reaction of my association with this person. And it's, you know, for men, I guess there's there's a status. We often think of women as being status interested when it comes to uh, dating and uh, pair bonding. But I, 
if I'm honest, I feel that and see that out in the world of men as well. Mm-hmm. I just, I, it's tough to tease out how much is, is what. I mean, isn't it kind of like the same thing? Like gold is shiny and people like gold. Mm-hmm. People started trading gold and it became valuable in its own right. Like, is it valuable because other people want it or because it's shiny? Mm-hmm. It's like young women are hot. People want to put their semen in it. And like, so therefore this is what makes it a valuable indicator of status. Like mm-hmm. those things are just the same kind of. Yeah. So uh, there was other directions I thought we would go, but I guess we're here. Personally, in my own life, I have gotten a lot of the things that I have wanted. I have, you know, made the money, had the success, dated who I wanted. There were there were women that I dated that I was didn't realize at the time, but was convinced this is it. If I get this, I'm happy. You know, I, I have it. And having sort of gone through those external things, received external validation, and found that not much had changed on the inside, I have tried to limit my interaction with status promises, you know, things that will raise my level in the dominance hierarchy I've, I've stepped back from. Do you think that can ever be undone? Because I still feel that pull. I'm like trying to get into meditation, Buddhism, all of these other things to opt out of a game that feels like even if I win, I lose. Uh, and I'm just curious if in your own life you have any thoughts on that. This is a very personal question you don't need this i don't know if this is, shows up in your research but yeah, I, I, I feel so the I, emptiness I, of that i'm having the same thing right like i'm you're mm-hmm. playing the man game i'm playing the woman game mm-hmm. and like i'm never going to be the youngest or hottest one there's always going to be like and i always kind of want that i'm always gonna be like mad that i'm not the most you know beautiful uh, you know mm-hmm. 19 year old on the planet but i think for me the the answer is just to like losing mm-hmm. like like the experience of playing the game is very delightful and mm. the experience of playing the game sometimes includes losing. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a game. And so, like, this is sort of, like, agonizing feeling of scraping and, like, wanting and being, like, riddled with desire. Like, that is the point. That's the whole point of like, being on this planet. Uh, I really like that. I, you know, I think I implicitly felt that for many years. And there... When, when I tell some friends, it's like they, they very much feel like you. They're like, fuck it. I love the chase. I love the, you know, I love whatever it is with money or status or trying to make X project work. And it's like, I don't want to zoom out and go, yeah, the heat death of the universe. And then it's all nothing. <laughs> you know, I, I like being very present in this feeling of desire and converting desire from this win-lose game to what you're describing as sort of the infinite game of like, it's, look, I'm here. I want things and then I die. I'm going to enjoy or and connect with the wanting of the thing, whether or not I get it. I think I think I could perhaps incorporate some of that. Uh, I just I just guess I hate losing so much. <laughs> it's part of it, and then the winning, like I said, isn't as, as satisfying as I imagined it might be. Uh, were you saying that you used to believe this, and then you sort of moved on, or? So I. I didn't know that this was my operating system, but like I mentioned, I found the pickup artist, the game stuff in my uh, 19s. I was a very shy and nerdy person before that. And so this was a promise of like, oh, all those things that you thought were outside of your life path can now be in there. So like I, you know, was a late bloomer, didn't really date. Now I now I could talk to girls and some of them even liked me. And then I found the four-hour work week. And it was like, oh, you thought you were going to work in a cubicle? Now you can make your own money. You could do all this cool stuff. And so- it was a really fun journey, but I didn't realize inside of me there was this belief that if I got the million subscribers or that girl or this thing, that something that was missing that I didn't even identify as being missing would finally land in me. 
um, and it didn't. And then I found psychedelics and then I went, holy shit, the answer is not where I've been looking for it. Still very grateful for the journey. Wouldn't, wouldn't knock anyone off that external path. I think it was a really valuable time in my life. Um, and I've just gotten so much more when I have a want, I try instead of getting it to sit and feel the want and feel the implicit suffering in the now not being enough and I'm not good at it <laughs> but that's where that's where I am at this particular juncture of my life like like you're in you're in the stage of attempting to accept the fact that you want I'm in the stage of trying to stop solving internal issues with external fixes is what I would say and I have luckily so one of the things that I can point to concretely is that I do think as cliche as it sounds some of my external pursuits, not only with women, but with money were to win the validation of my dad to like be enough for this very particular person. Yeah. Daddy issues forever. Daddy issues. Um, <laughs> um, to be, I think they're far more common than people acknowledge. Uh, I felt very ashamed when I discovered that want in myself and I realized that, oh, I can't, this route, acknowledging that it's for him is far too painful because I don't know how to get it there and it just hurts so fucking much. So I'll just say if I can, you know, get a hundred other people that that will give me this missing piece. And in instead feeling that desire, expressing it to him, mending our relationship has been far more gratifying, touching, moving, and has made me land so much more in the present where I feel like it's, it's easier for me to be authentic than, you know, trying to become the person that everyone else liked. And now it feels easier for me to be myself and be disliked by other people and have that mm -hmm. be like, oh, it's all part of the game, you know, lost that one. And I, it doesn't torture me in the way that it used to. That's It's so interesting because lately I've been on a, like a genetics is everything kick mm. where you ever like get like a frame to view the world through. And then you just attempt to look at the world through that frame, like all the time, just, and lately my frame has been just genetics is everything. There's no, yeah. and, and that is just a point of evidence against like, I would have suggest, suspected like, oh, maybe you were just felt insecure because you're just genetically proposed to being, mm -hmm. supposed to like being desperate for other people's approval. But mm -hmm. I think this is actually, it sounds like if you could actually fix it, then probably it wasn't genetic. Yes, yes, I was, uh, he just was here. I mean, I don't, I don't wanna get all bleary, I did teary, but it, my, it's crazy how a small fix in my relationship with him can leave a lasting fullness in me that I was like, oh my God, all of that other shit was just <laughs> like, it was looking in the wrong place. So I don't, I know this is, you know, I've, I've read all your stuff. I'm ready. I'm prepared for this conversation. <laughs> um, I know that you don't tend to find those trauma narratives sufficient because of how different your experience was. And, you know, you have had very challenging times in your past with your own family. And there's a period mm -hmm. of time where viewing yourself as the victim of your story was very detrimental to you. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. Although to be clear, the thing that you described to me about your dad didn't necessarily sound like a trauma narrative. Okay. Okay. But I, just, well, I wasn't sure if you were like intentionally comparing the two, but, but also yes, separately you're correct about mine. Got it. Well, so I sort of was my understanding if I'll, I'll do me was that, uh, there was a thing that I needed that I couldn't get in the place that I desperately needed and wanted it. And it hurts so bad to not know how and not be able to get it that I shut off connection with, oh, I'm going to go left. And was like, I'm just going to go right a thousand miles an hour and try to, you know, try to find that need over here. Um, so to me, I do think there, there was, you can call it trauma. There was a traumatic split between he and I that when healed had a profoundly positive effect on my life. Mm -hmm. Does that match your experience or does that 
not? Because it sounds... Not necessarily. I think my conception of the trauma narrative is when you feel traumatized because you're expected to feel traumatized. Okay. Which does not preclude like actually being trauma. Like actually- I like this. The thing that you described just sounded like, hey, I like was fucking hurt by this thing and then eventually got it fixed, which is a normal, reasonable thing. Got it. If your story had been something like, well, yeah, it was a shitty relationship. And then just like everybody kept telling me like, man, you got daddy issues. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I do. And then, Mm. and then- like then I would have been like that sound, might sound like a little narrativization, but I understand. It's when you expect there or are told that there needs to be trauma somewhere, so you go fishing for trauma, so you perpetually victimize yourself in a way that might not be appropriate for your particular situation. Then right. you've fallen into this yeah, pathologization trap that is not good for you. But if it spontaneously arises or with, you know, loving guidance, you feel that and you get that thing and it heals you or has a positive effect, then like great. Yeah. All, you know, the thing it. is like a lot of the time, like actual pain and also trauma narratives come hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Like my dad was a fucking shitty, abusive dickhead. And that like did in fact cause real issues. Like I still have like some like old, you know, scarring like lodged in my psyche from this um, that I don't think was caused by an attempt to make a narrative around it. And then separately, I also experienced a lot of suffering from people telling me that I should be really upset by what happened. Mm-hmm. And so both of those things or like, you know, like sexual assault can do this too. Like yeah. I had a, like a shitty uh, experience escorting once where like I didn't screen a guy and he got violent. And like I had simultaneously like some sort of natural, actual reaction to this. And separately, I felt really wary of people being like, oh, you poor thing. Like you're such a victim. Like if you have mm-hmm. any PTSD symptoms, like we're here, you know, like, like sort of coddling me. Like, I didn't really want to be coddled. Mm. I think that one of the things that can cause that, and I try to be wary of this is, it's very unclear in any interaction who is trying to be healed and who is expected to be the healer. So the person coming to you being like, oh my God, you poor thing. The question is, are they really looking at you, feeling your energy coming at them and responding to what you are putting out or what you're holding back? Or are they going, I need a partner in my, in my traumatization. You are a perfect opportunity to have someone match me. And uh, yeah, I've, I've seen that dynamic. I try to be cautious of it, but it's not always clear who, who, is, who is tending to whom in any interaction. I think this is a very astute observation. A lot yeah. of the time, like comfort comes not from like trying to make the other person okay with their pain, but from you mm-hmm. being unacceptable, like not accepting your own pain. Like yes. you see this thing happening in somebody else and you're like, oh, if that happened to me, I would not be able to be okay with it. And so you mm-hmm. try to like make it go away in the other person. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if you're chill with it, you're, you don't have to have it be anything else. Yes. Yes. That's been a, a real challenge for me. I'm, I'm the big brother. And uh, when my siblings, particularly my little brother would have a problem, it would enrage me. And I only recently learned that like my attempt to protect him by getting angry at the thing was not what he needed. Like he wasn't feeling angry. He was maybe feeling hurt or he was just wanting mm-hmm. to talk about it. And my immediately going to I know how to solve this problem was actually not me solving his problem it was me getting triggered freaking out about what was going on inside of me because I am I'm upset that I let him down in whatever way and uh yeah so I've been on both sides of this and I I do very much know what you're talking about when it's like you got to be sensitive tender and I think just deeply present with the person you're with when it comes to being like I think there's something ongoing and something going on inside you versus Oh, there's something going on inside of me <laughs> that that you're bringing up with with your life history. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, thank you for helping me work that out. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, sex. Let's uh, let's go to sex. 
as regards trauma, people view it through a number of different lenses. For a Christian, it is a divine connection that is you know only meant to be done in marriage. It's not really about pleasure. Other people, it's just about feeling good. Um, I know it's got a lot of different facets for someone who's interested in trauma. Maybe it's the expression of these taboo things that you, you know, that otherwise in your life you can't access. So in the safety of a sexual relationship, you're able to experience dominance, submission, you know, bondage, all that kind of stuff. How do you understand sex? And I don't want to pigeonhole you into picking any one of those. Um, I understand this is a broad question, but what is sex to you, if, if that makes any sense? I don't, I don't, I'm not sure how to answer that. It's mm. like fun, expressive. It feels a little bit like what is eating to you. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I get hungry and then I eat. And then sometimes I eat in different contexts, like with friends for bonding. And like, sometimes mm. it's healthy and sometimes it's bad for me. And sometimes I try not to do it for a while to see if this like resets me. Like, I don't know. It's good. It feels very much like sort of some base urge that has like a lot of different meanings you can funnel it into. But I don't think I have uh, like a deeply spiritual relationship with sex. Some people seem to report they have this like transcendent union thing. And I've never really experienced that. The other thing that I admire in you that also I, I admit a bit of fear about is the lack of shame with which you live your life, with which you post things, with, you know, that you engage in sex, I think is, it's uh, inspiring at at some level. And uh, how did you get there? Can you talk about like how you, because I feel like shame is so deeply ingrained in so many people that I know, myself, society at large, particularly when it comes to sex. So how did you wind up as free as you appear to be? Uh, LSD. Okay. (laughs) A lot of LSD. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Got it. Were there big learnings from LSD or was it just like a, oh, this is, this is off my shoulders? Well, it was slow. I mean, do you, you know about my LSD journey at all? I don't know a ton of your LSD stuff. No, I've seen, I've seen like a photo or two, but I didn't, I don't know the context. Yeah. So in, when I was 22 or something, I did LSD like pretty high doses approximately once a week for about a year. Wow. And so it was, it was like very intensive. It was like a full-time and by the end of it, I had done it. It was like I was tripping even when I wasn't on acid. It kind of felt like like I would take out acid, but it just didn't feel like a significant change anymore. Mm-hmm. It was very intense. But that was a whole process of like, um, like intense curiosity about my own mind. Because mm-hmm. when you first start doing it, you're like, holy shit, there's, there's so much in here that I didn't have access to what's going on. And that just that curiosity didn't go away for a very long time. And a lot of it was just like, but the thing is like when you come into direct contact with a part of yourself, like really direct contact, like you can't have shame. Like mm. there's something that is in sort of the turning away. Like the, like, I do not want to be in full contact. Uh, like, like this is not acceptance. Like to, to touch a thing is to accept it. Yeah. And so it was just a very slow process of every time I did LSD, I would go find another part of myself and like come into full contact with it. And it was often incredibly painful. Because there's so many parts of yourself, like these like hypothetical lives that you might live that like in order to come into contact with it, you have to sort of like accept the fact that this is your reality now. And this is why LSD is so useful for it, because it's like you have very vivid imagination on it. So you're very easily to like, all right, let's go into this reality where this is the truth, where I am the idiot or I am like ugly and unattractive and nobody wants me. And then you just have to grieve that, go through the process of like mourning the fact that you used to be great and now you're the thing that you don't want to admit that you are. And then once you are in it, once you're like, all right, I'm no longer afraid of it. I have one foot in the pool of agony where I've lost everything I loved. They're like, what are you afraid of anymore? What are you ashamed of? 
Mm. It's like you're here. You're already part of it. You are already disgusting and horrible. And <laughs> you're not trying to writhe away anymore. Like this is part of you. And so this is, it's, it's, I'm not ashamed, not because like I am great, but because I'm okay with not being great. Mm. I've, I have had those experiences of encountering parts of yourself and you're a hundred percent right. I hadn't, I don't think I'd conceived of it this way. It is only when you can pretend that that is not you, that it is somehow separate, that it could be resisted, that you are capable of saying no gross. And then it becomes you and you're like, oh, I feel all of these things. I am all of these things that, which is deeply uncomfortable and then there's a love that is like, oh, this this is this is true now. Um, well, I guess there's positive feelings also inside of this disgustingness of me, which is you know whatever. And I think and I think for a lot of people, and maybe maybe I'm talking about myself and projecting. I think that sex can become the realm where those. When I look at and I, now I'm not talking about myself, but when I look at porn today and I see all the stepbrother, stepsister, stepmom stuff, I go, this this cannot be by accident. Like there has to be something going on here. And I wonder if it is this, not necessarily desire to be with your mom or your brother or your sister, but these like the inability to ever resolve the tension of like, I love this person and I want to touch them and I want to be with them, but I also can't. And I can't even think about that because that would make me fucking disgusting. So, oh, it's a steps person on a porn website. Now that's like, I think one of the most popular categories. Does that, does that, I, I, well, I guess I sort of know the answer. How do you understand fetishes in that? Do fetishes you think are just genes, biology, they come up like that? Like, why do we see this rise of step porn today? I, well, my guess is that it actually wants to be real porn, not just step porn. My guess okay. is that people have to put real, I yeah. have to put stuff in it for legal reasons, for like obscenity reasons. Ah, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, it's just a disclaimer. So I think the thing is people are actually quite into incest. I think incest is very popular. Talk about that. Yeah. So you, most people will gut reaction say, no, not me. No one I know. Totally wrong. Can you, can you discuss that a bit further? Definitely people, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like it depends on the kind of, of incest, but like incidents range through like 10 to 20% of the population, at least mm. according to my survey. I did like a survey, which I cite a lot, um, but I just want to, when I claim it's of the population I'm based on, on that survey just mm -hmm. to be clear um but um, i again i'm on sort of the biology side or like i don't know i'm saying using biology and genetics as sort of a catch-all for like the inevitable thing that in your brain it's possible maybe there's something that happens hormonally in the womb i don't know but in my survey i my sample size is around half a million and i asked people a whole bunch of stuff about their childhood and also about a whole bunch of fetishes and almost nothing correlated mm. um, including like you know being verbally abused by various genders you know this it just doesn't seem to have a strong impact so my guess is it's a lot of post-rationalization but also um I, my guess my theory right now is that like fetishes are sort of like the thing that fuels a fetish is sort of ingrained but like the shape that this can take depends on the culture so like mm. if you're very into like the thing that arouses you is like i'm having sex with like somebody i shouldn't be like what counts as shouldn't be like might vary depending on the culture Understood. So there might be these large blocks of shouldn't be, and then there's this uh, a trans swimmer or something, and the entire world has weighs in with their opinion, and then you see the spike in trans-related porn, or you know, yeah. For why it has, it, I believe incest porn has been on the rise, or like the step stuff 
uh, or maybe that was just discovered as a marketing tool that could make it appealing and on legal. Do you have any insight into that particular one? Why? I don't know. When I was a young man looking at my first porn website, I don't remember seeing that kind of stuff and I'm aware of it now. Do you have any idea what the uptick might be related to? I do not. Okay. I wish I did. Like yeah. I said, it's not correlated with anything too interesting. It is a lot more correlated with um, not being cis. So like non-cis mm -hmm. people tend to have greater insist in um, trans fetishes. Sorry, I'm moving, moving a chair. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, but non-cis people have greater interest in like most things. So it's not that weird. Got it. And that isn't, from your understanding, necessarily causal that because they're this or that it might just be like look if you already had to accept this thing about yourself which is that you are not cisgendered probably you've worked through some degree of shame or have some degree of openness to other things so it's it sounds unclear what is causing what and what is just oh, no i think it's absolutely causal i don't think this is oh you do a, think it's causal well i think that like for example like trans people tend to be like much more autistic for example mm. um and i think that there's just something in the brain like autism like also correlates with interesting fetishes so mm -hmm. i think there's just like some sort of interesting thing going on the, in the brain that also causes like a very specific category of uh, like fetish types that people are interested in i mean mm -hmm. this is like with intense compassion i'm like some people yeah. hear me say this and they're like oh trans people are freaks i'm like no not at all mm -hmm. fetishes are super cool and interesting and it's like super fascinating that there's something going on in the brain that like, mm -hmm. causes gender dysphoria and seems to also be related somehow to having like really unusual fetishes mm -hmm. so where i go and i i, I defer to you because you've done the research i am so tempted to narrativize this and i guess be one of those post-rationalized mm -hmm. people who goes you know i've that you saw this thing when you were little, it was, it was, you just, they slapped your hand and, you know, then you weren't able to get that forbidden fruit. And then in life it goes out. And I guess I, perhaps I'm, it's because I do it to myself and I go, where does this, I, I'm fairly vanilla, uh, but I look at the things that I want and I go, where does this come from? Is this from a one-to-one -one desire for this thing to happen? Or am I looking for something underneath that? I'm not necessarily against narratives. I'm against mm -hmm. like, uh, I wrote this article, which I don't remember, but like, I call it like sky problems and earth problems. Yeah. And like sky problems are when we think of things as like psychological and sort of under our control. Like, oh, if mm -hmm. you only looked at this differently, oh, if you only applied more will. And then earth problems are things that are kind of not like that. Like, oh, you have a digestive problem or, oh, you have schizophrenia. It's not you, mm -hmm. it's your brain. Um, and I think like the correct way of doing it is like not to just not, is to not be limited. I think a lot of people like limit themselves to one thing. Like mm -hmm. oh, if you're having anxiety, you're like, I must, I must narrativize this. I must come up with some sort of like intellectual explanation for why this is like my issue. But yeah. like, maybe you just need to stop eating caffeine. I don't know. And, and just like being open and flexible to like different like categories of explanations for what's going on, I think is the important part. Like it's fine if you have like a narrative about like your childhood or whatever. It's just like also like keep an eye on other things. Like, just notice that like maybe there are biological explanations. I don't know. Like be totally. loose, be light footed. I love that because I, as I look at my own life and I look at other people, I see sometimes they are able to do healing improvement through external means. And it makes a lasting positive impact. Even, you know, some people will get plastic surgery and it's like their personal uh, issue is just gone. It's, they're not upset. There's a book, Psycho-Cybernetics. It's like some people would walk out of there feeling incredible. Then you have on the flip side, people who can't stop getting plastic surgery. It doesn't solve the inner issue. And it's not should one or shouldn't one get plastic surgery or should one or shouldn't one narrativize. It's 
pay attention. Is this working? And if not, maybe try a different domain, like you mentioned, diet or getting a good night's sleep or going for exercise to you know, address the issue that is persistent in your life. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Just keep, keep an open mind. I think this is my issue with a lot of like the post rationality community mm-hmm. is that it feels like they're like sort of overcorrecting into a very like sky problem lens. I'm like, sometimes, sometimes just, it's okay for a few things through, through that, but just like, don't exclude the other because it, it's all interconnected. We don't exist with just one or the other. Like it's this part of the same thing. Mm. So that reminds me of uh, open relationships. I don't know if it's a sky problem, earth problem thing, but one of the big issues with open relationships that I, I've been in some is jealousy. And I found that to be an intractable problem. I'm curious if you've been able to work with jealousy that you felt and m- mitigate it to any to a to a significant degree. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I definitely get jealous, mm-hmm. but it it feels like, I don't know, worth it. Mm-hmm. It's possible that I'm just like not predisposed to getting quite as jealous as other people so that it, it's just like a baseline easier for me to handle. But usually for me, jealousy comes when I'm afraid of being replaced in some way or like I perceive, even if it's not rational, like even if I'm totally where this is not a threat, like somewhere in my being, I'm like, okay, I think this other person is actually going to beat me in like some sort of important hierarchy that I value. Like mm-hmm. that's when it gets really painful for me. And like, usually the way to resolve this is to uh, like suffer until I figure out, until I figure out that that's not the case because mm-hmm. like either it is the case or it isn't. And if it is the case that they beat me, that I'm going to lose my partner either entirely or to some degree. And I want that to happen. Like mm-hmm. if my partner does in fact want to be with somebody else to the exclusion of me, then that's, that's the correct outcome. Mm-hmm. And so either we get that or they actually want to be with me um, and I'm still I'm not losing my place whatsoever. And then that's fine. So yeah. like jealousy is just like you're in one of these two worlds, figure out which one you're in. I think that I think a, a profound way of loving someone is to want the best for them, even when it, you know, isn't necessarily what feels like what's best for you. And then I, the deeper level is to recognize that that is also what is best for you is to not be with someone who is not, you know, best for them. Are you able to make that rational? I see this and I know this is the case. And I like, that's a pretty good rule about love match your felt experience of you know, not necessarily the moment that you're triggered, but of, you know, sharing a partner sexually with someone else. Kind of, it, de- it depends a lot. Yeah. It depends. My reactions vary so much. Mostly gets better with time. I've found that like often if I'm experiencing jealousy, I can't rationalize myself out of it. I just have to like expose myself to it because like, uh, like say my partner starts sleeping with someone else and like, I can hear them in the next room and I'm like, Dah! <laughs> right. And like my body's like, they're going to leave me. They're going to love them more. They're going to not like me. I'm going to be cast to the wayside. And then I can't rationalize. I can't fight that. And so what I have to do is just wait until my body realizes that that's not true. Mm-hmm. And sometimes for me, sometimes it takes a couple months of being like, oh, my partner keeps coming back to me. That's weird. Oh, my partner keeps fucking me passionately. 
huh? And then eventually my body gets the hint. And then like when it, they fuck someone else in the next room, I'm like, oh, this is, it, I don't, I, I, it's not under my conscious control. I just have to be exposed to it. It's kind of like you can't become confident yeah. by like willing yourself into confidence. You have to, in fact, go through the steps that actually grow the confidence. It's very mm -hmm. much like that. I cannot will myself out of jealousy. I just have to like expose myself to the truth until the jealousy naturally self-resolves. I was entirely thinking of the confidence journey that I had to go on. I think about a lot of people have to go on is like, you, you can hype yourself up, but you know, if she doesn't like you, it's okay. You can tell yourself all these things, but surviving the, sorry, I have to go to the bathroom. You know, that moment of just like, oh my God, kill me now. Uh, but making it through it enough times is actually what makes you yeah. go, this is okay. I can, I can do this. You're better off not thinking about it, planning, plotting it, and instead just you know, gritting your teeth as, as you survive. Um, yeah. And sometimes it's harder than others. Like, like when my partners like date a girl who's more similar to me, I get a lot more threatened because I'm like, yeah. ah, she's competing along. Like he might value, like, like I, it's better for me when they date somebody that's like, not like me because then mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, we're not competing. You're just getting different needs fulfilled. And do you have a primary partner or do you not do that sort of thing? I have one that I see more often uh -huh. and we discussed getting married for a while and then decided yeah. that we probably shouldn't. Got it. But, but, yeah. but you don't have that. I know a lot of open relationships. There's this like safety thing in having a, the like, no, you're the primary. Is that, is that a thing that you have worked with or had or mm -hmm. not really? I don't, I, I don't like that. I like the descriptive primary as opposed to mm -hmm. like, I'm down to be like, Hey, do you want to get a house and have kids thing? Like, mm -hmm. and then in which case you'd have to be like, all right, I'm going to commit to like putting most of my income towards the house and most of my time towards the kids. Yes. In which case you sort of necessarily then have less time and money to spend on other people. So you, so, so there's some sort of like hierarchy that emerges from just like pr practically building a life together. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't feel like I want the hierarchy for the hierarchy itself. Like as long as it's like based on some sort of like external project. Yeah. Then I'm okay with it. It's very brave. That's very brave. I, I think it often is an psychological backstop to be like, look, I have this title, I have this label. And it's, it imposes a false sense of control onto what you know is, look, this person might like somebody more, might decide that somebody is better. And uh, I'm not going to pretend that a label can protect me against that. So I think that's, yeah. I think that's brave. There's some feeling where it's like, uh, <laughs> like, like, I know my partner is with me because he wants to, to be mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. there's no other like he, he can go out and fuck any woman, any other woman mm. in the world. Like there's nothing stopping anything. And mm. he like, it's a hundred percent voluntary that he chooses to like, come back and spend time with me. And that mm. feels so good. Like, I can't like, like, if I like, if I were dating somebody and I were like, okay, now you can't go and have sex with another woman. I'd be like, does he actually want to be with me? Like, I don't, I don't know. I feel like it would be like a psychological mind fuck for me. Mm -hmm. oh, well, I guess, you know, one of the things that I, I love about the modern age is the, huh, the the breadth at which people are testing different arrangements and not just committed to like the nuclear family is it. This is how it works, that we have multiple tests going on, that some of them will work for some people, some of them will work for the majority. Um, I think there was a time in my life where I thought everyone needs to do the four-hour work week. Everyone needs to do open relationship. I was yeah. evangelical in my universalization of everything. And uh, it's obvious, like, yeah, different strokes for different folks. And I think, you know, to have a period of testing in my life or in your life, if you're listening, and then figure out what works for you without needing to tell everyone else that this is 
this is the one true way is uh, I wish I'd learned that sooner. I was like a Jehovah's Witness with so many things, <laughs> just knocking on people's doors. Uh, Were you like this with psychedelics too? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, uh, I've learned now to, the thing that I didn't know how to do was to invite without here, you know, like I was like, if I had a gift for someone, I was like, I'm going to put it in your hand and now you have it. And now I have the capacity through psychedelics to offer sincere, open, genuine invitations and to really mm-hmm. receive back. Sometimes people will tell you yes, but they energetically say, fuck no, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, hey, you should maybe join our, our circle of, you know, we could talk about this or shame or whatever. Oh yeah, maybe. And it's like, I hear you. No fucking way. <laughs> You're not coming. Um, so I've, I've gotten good at that and feeling like it's not my duty to proselytize has been, uh, God, what a relief. Um, I thought I got, I thought I had to save everybody. Uh, so let's encourage, <laughs> like, it's, it's sort of sweet. Like, I know that it's not great to, you know, mm-hmm. be like super evangelical, but there's like some urge, like there's a thing that works for me and I desperately want everybody to be saved. It's like, yes. it kind of comes from a nice place. It's both nice and deeply codependent. It's like, I don't feel secure enough in my happiness unless other people agree, ratify and support and see it. And it, mm. so there was, there's both a kindness in it, which is definitely there and a selfishness in it, which is this helps me stay more stable in what I found. Um, I appreciate yeah. you leaning toward the positive, <laughs> but I, I don't want to uh, talk about me the whole time. I want to get to some of your research. Uh, there's a number of things that I found really interesting. Uh, mm. I could rattle some, just the little ones. I'll tell you the ones that I found fascinating. I'm curious what you have been uh, just wowed by. Um, one of the things I, there was the difference in men and women uh, body parts that they found fascinating. I think lips was the maxed out one. And for women, hands, forearms were primary. And I've heard this meme before. I've seen the TikToks. And I've always just dismissed that as silly. Uh, and it's funny because when men go to the gym, they do, you know, chest, back, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. legs, all these other things. And I was like, are we lifting for each other <laughs> or are we should I be like I've, should I be doing forearms if that's which it was back when I cared a lot more when that was my goal was to make myself optimally attractive um I did not do forearms uh and I don't know if that's a a, a reporting issue or if that's what you find okay. as well that women do women no. do, is that what you find they like love hands and forearms r slash forearm porn it's like <laughs> men get r slash gone wild on reddit and women have r slash forearm powers men pushing it <laughs> I've, it's funny because I've heard that and resisted it for years. Like, what's the hottest thing a man can wear? It's like, it's a button up with his sleeves rolled up. I was like, why do the sleeves got to be rolled up? Like, that's, that's goofy. Um, I think it's an, an expression of dominance. It's like one of the easiest ways to, because like women mm. are particularly into domin, like dominant uh, submission dynamics, like power dynamics, sexually speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like the forearm is like a, like a symbol of like, you know, like when the, the twilight vampire like pins the girl's hands over her head and she mm-hmm. you know, gets butterflies or whatever. I think it's like the most clear symbol of like, like being able to like have power over someone. Interesting. I wrote down a couple more of this. I want to grab these so I don't forget. Um, <laughs> oh, here's one men finding cunnilingus as erotic as women do. So like the interest in a man giving and a woman receiving is like, Bam, this matches. And then, uh, but for blowjobs, women find them less erotic than men do. So there's a disproportionate dip yeah. there. I don't know if that was one thing that you saw, but I was looking, I was like, oh, wow, kind of like it's bam, like perfect, perfect matches. Uh, that was another one. 
And I wrote about, there was one about South America that matched my experience there. I don't know if I wrote it down, unfortunately. Oh, oh. I don't remember this. Was it about bestiality? It was South American women find irritation and annoyance in their partner mm-hmm. to be more erotic relative to their, you know, other counterparts in the world, um, which I don't know. It's, you know, I, I sort of see that. I guess I see that the, the stereotype is of the sassy, emotional Latina woman who I guess is like more mm-hmm. irritating to the man. So it didn't, didn't hundred percent match. Yeah, I've, never been, I've never been there. So I didn't know how to interpret those results. What I encountered living there was, so I, I spent only a week in Norway, but I spent about a year and a half. I spent three years in South America, actually almost three years oh. between Costa Rica, Brazil, a bunch of other places. Um, and what I saw there that was always jarring was the way that you pick up women is wildly direct and is borderline assault in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. So the first night out, I remember like watching a guy grab a girl's arm, yank her to him. She pulls away. No. And you're, you're looking around. Do I like, I don't, I'm not a fighter. I don't know what to do. And within three minutes they're making out. And it starts with this, like there's, there's almost, and again, I don't want to over, this was my experience many times in Brazil. Uh, at these outdoor parties was watching this dance of leave me alone. No, I'm not going to. And the confidence was almost displayed in the, I will not take your initial no for real, which is of course opens up a whole bag of worms about consent. Um, but it's, that's not, doesn't seem to be some, an issue that they're grappling with like we are in the United States of America right now. They seem to under, well, understand or at least accept still that, uh, there's, there's an emotionally, there, there is a surface level communication and there's an below the surface level communication. And that is, uh, it's dominant <laughs> down there and can be very freaky to engage with. I think this might actually be the norm. Like I think like mm-hmm. the whole U S consent culture is like an abnormal mm-hmm. aberration in all of history and mankind. Like you have a lot of bridal rituals, which involve, um, her like officially like saying no to the man and then he has to like kind of persuade her or kidnap yeah. her in some way like the woman like saying no and there being some force is like considered sort of the default way of doing things yeah um, so it sounds like there's just like enacting that ritual so i do wonder if it has to do with like economic development and how that impacts the roles that men and women play in society yeah, I I don't like my conspiracy theory is that it has something to do with testosterone levels mm-hmm. i don't like I've heard some like people arguing that the microplastics thing is fake, but like I could hypothetically see a world in which like the developed countries have some sort of different thing going on in, in diet or mm. um, in like food. I don't know, like like packaging um, that yeah. like leads to decreased testosterone and does not very strongly lead to sexual aggression. Mm. I wonder. So that's I love that you come at it from a different way rather than the narrative that you're coming. You know the biology. You're, you're going back to like yeah. What yeah, what chemicals do we have inside? In mind. Yeah. Yes, I, I I appreciate that. I wonder if that would be. I wonder what that would show if they tested you know testosterone levels in Brazil versus Norway versus America. Um, and then other things that I saw the cheating levels. One of the the biggest differences that we see in terms of men predicting if women cheat is roughly accurate you know men have they're they're a little bit under women cheat a little bit more than men expect them to especially Mm -hmm. over time um but the gulf between how much women think men cheat and how much men report cheating gets wider and wider and wider as time goes by um it's like roughly double right i think yeah it it was i mean what i remember is it just (laughs) i don't know i don't remember the exact numbers on the axis but that um 
one of the things that 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 is scary is everyone thinks that they are not that person who is not being confused about if their partner did or did not cheat. Well, you know, that ha- of course happens to someone else, but I was just looking at the numbers and go, man, there's like, I think, I forget at what point, but there's 10 or 20% of men that are wrong about their women. And there's, you know, 20 to 30% of women wrong about their men. Uh, the basis of a lot of relationships is not what people think it is, is what I sort of took from Especially that. for men, like uh, most cheating rates measure, uh, they ask, like, like if you look at other studies, people measure it mm-hmm. by age. Like, oh, out of 45-year-old men, how often do they cheat? But the thing I looked at, I measured it by length of relationship, which is different numbers very much. Mm. Um, at 22 plus years, of 40% of men in my sample reported cheating, which is quite high. Yes. <laughs> that is, yeah, I, I wonder if that's uh, of the age that those men are likely to be and what that said about, you know, maybe they got into a relationship very young because they started they started in whatever the 80s or something like that but it also makes sense that no the longer you're in a relationship the harder you know one one break causes infidelity so you do expect to see it go up over time what have you found so that was what i uh those were the things that moved me about your data is there things that in your research that has really uh wowed shocked impacted you I like the, I've recently been looking again at the poly data, like I measured mm-hmm. poly versus monogamous relationships to see how they differ. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically the thing that was interesting to me is that like I asked people to write themselves on a spectrum from very monogamous to very polyamorous. Mm-hmm. Um, and the quality of relationships was basically a U shape, like uh, fully hundred percent people who are like, I am a totally poly. They had a very slightly better relationships than very monogamous people, like roughly the same, like maybe you edge out a little bit. Um, whereas if you write yourself as, you know, I'm like partially a little bit monog, a little bit poly one foot in, like you have much worse relationships. People mm. like trusted each other less, had less sex, reported being like more jealous, uh, having fights, like not like, uh, we don't fight well, we're more likely to agree with that statement, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel that, yeah, the, if, if you're not sure where you are, should you be leaning more towards one side? This is what I had with the girlfriend that I described. Should you be leaning more to the other? It's it's this gray zone of what should I be doing? I'm not getting everything I was promised. You shouldn't be doing that. That yeah. makes it miserable. Um, yeah, I don't think that like people in the middle necessarily have bad relationships. I just think that like if you are going to have troubles in your relationship for whatever reason, then you are more likely to end up reporting being in the middle got it so if you're already having issues you're like why don't we open it up sort of yeah. kind of like on business trips and then it's like well you've, you've got a crappy relationship that you now slapped right. this this semi-poly on top of which just means yeah. that you're i think people use monogamy a little bit into polyland as a way to fix their relationship also i think it happens when there's an asymmetry one person really wants to be poly the other person doesn't so they land in the middle as a compromise you know a lot of stuff like that there's also um i think cultural stuff like being poly is just hard in this culture like we don't have the same resources that monogamous people do because monogamous people take it for granted. Like all of your movies, TV, every depiction of relationships comes from a monogamous frame. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have this template of how monogamy works. Poly people don't, you have to invite your shit from scratch. And so like, if you're like isolated, I think you're more likely to A, have a worse time with your polyamory because you're just surrounded by monogamous people and B, you're less likely to say that you're, you know, full balls to the walls poly. Because, you know, you're surrounded by monogamous people. Like, you just can't. You're like, you're not, like, emboldened enough to do that. I think the full balls to the wall poly people who have great relationships also tend to be in poly communities, which are, like, 
more self-sustaining, more self-supporting. Like you get to yeah. share knowledge and like this leads to higher quality relationships. That makes sense. Cause I, you know, uh, to view a relationship separate from the community in which it takes place is, you know, I imagine if you dropped a deeply monogamous couple into a poly community, their relationship might deteriorate over time. And that's, yeah, the people that surround you, the expectations that they place upon you or that you feel, you know, what is required to fit in here are going to have a dramatic impact on what becomes acceptable, normal, worth arguing about, not worth arguing about, where you go, oh, oh no, this is, we both agree this is your thing to work on. Um, and so, yeah, it makes sense that communities that are supportive of whatever the primary relationship mode is are going to be the ones where people report high, higher satisfaction. Yeah. So basically, I just think there's like a number of reasons why like the extremes do better. And then like, if you're just having like worst time, you end up in the middle. Got it. Cool. But poly relationships uh, also uh, only like the full poly relationships were shorter than the full monogamous relationships, but only by two months. So it seems like if you're all the way polyamorous, like it mostly just doesn't affect your breakup rates, basically. Did you, I don't know if you've ever done this. Do you, are people on average... I guess this, I don't know how you might have pulled this. Do you have any idea if the people's satisfaction in relationships has gone up or down since like the sexual revolution or that sort of thing? I'm wondering if, if since this fragmentation of there's a lot of different ways to do it and you can get divorced and you know, you're not stuck. Has that choice improved quality of relationships or, or maybe you don't know? And I don't track things over time. I've asked Got people it. like, I can look at different ages, but like, of sure. course this is compounded by age. Got it. <laughs> so. Got it. Yeah, it's hard. My guess is that it just does increase the quality of relationships. Like, like I said, so probably people have very slightly shorter relationships, but slightly higher ratings of relationship satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And my guess is these things are correlated. Like you're more likely to be able to just like eat yourself out of a relationship. You're less dedicated. And thus the relationships you do have, you're happier with, um, but only slightly, which is an interesting trade-off because a lot of times people are like, the main critique they have is like, well, I couldn't do poly. Like there's no commitment. You just pop out whenever you want. And like one, this is not actually technically not quite true. Uh, but two, like, like why, like how much happiness would you have to trade in order to have like the amount of commitment that you want? Like, would you rather be in a slightly less happy, like really long-term relationship or like a happier series of like relationships that each last 10 years? I don't know. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I, I think that one of the implicit unfortunate things about relationships is that they are judged not on the quality of them, but on if they perpetuate yeah. themselves into the future, which I mean, is, you don't want that. <laughs> because like, I see people on Twitter, I, maybe I'm like too close to this and so I'm biased, but like, I see people on Twitter all the time being like, ah, uh, you know, like commitment. Like they talk about commitment. Like it's like the top thing. Like ooh, my parents were married over 30 years and their relationship is shit. Like, mm. I, they, they, commitment like works shit for them. Like I do not think commitment is the thing that you want. <laughs> like you have to have like commitment and quality. Like if those things are two things are t- together, then you're just committing to a horrible life. Yeah, and I do understand the conservatives though that point to that as like, look, this is the bedrock of society because we got a mom and a dad, and then they have these babies that are healthier as a result of it. Of course, I understand the liberal side, which is look, if mom and dad seethe at each other privately while you know technically raising this kid together, yes, you have a kid who is economically viable, but like who also has a totally messed up understanding of what love looks like. Uh, but I just I understand both instincts when I think of like the Jordan Peterson, we need the nuclear family. Of course, you want that tempered with, yeah, but if it sucks, we that can't that can't be your sole god. You have to you have to have quality in there as well. But even so, like, this is still not necessarily at odds. Like, you can stay together four kids. As soon as the kids are gone, you split mm-hmm. up. 
But people still like idolize commitment even well past or independent of kids. Even if you don't have kids at all, people yeah. are still like, you, should, you know, like it doesn't say, like I would, I'm much more sympathetic to arguments where it's like very contingent on child health, but most of the time they're not. Got it. Got it. Um, okay. So there's, well, there's two things that I want to touch on before we wrap. The first is going back. Uh, I wanted to touch on, cause I don't know that I, I wanted to explore it further. My fear around uh, the transactional nature and what is happening to men in the experience of camming and also to women, I suppose, but really where I think about is like that you potentially have this group of men who is not receiving validation, who is not really in the dominance hierarchy, who are getting signals that slake their lust to be winners without really being winners. Um, I guess what I have a fear that we can create this underclass of men who are not like competitive losers, but who opt out of the game entirely and instead go to work, put their money into OnlyFans or camming and live potentially um, very disconnected lives without without a sustainable connection that is not 100% one-to-one money. Um, is that, have you thought about that? Do you, do you think that I'm uh, a little bit off in this? I guess I just, I... I'm worried about what passes for intimacy nowadays. And it seems like uh, the women, I guess it probably hurts both sides, but the women doing it know the game a little bit better. It's like they know that they have some guy who's writing all their, their OnlyFans messages. They know that they're not involved in that. But the guy is deluding himself on the other end going, oh, this is my private masturbation pick that I got today. I, I, I don't know. That, that has been something that uh, I fear about about the those things yeah i have two responses one is that like you know the 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 fun study of the story where they gave like the rats heroin and the rats got addicted yeah and then yeah they put the rats in the joyful world and then the rats no longer wanted heroin uh i kind of feel like like only fans is not the cause it's a symptom like mm. there's a reason why men want only fans uh it's not only fans's fault Mm-hmm. Um, like like if men weren't starved for intimacy they wouldn't be going to OnlyFans like I, I don't view OnlyFans as like a necessarily great and healthy thing but I view it as like sort of like a bandage on a deeper wound and I'm like I'm glad that there's a bandage there I'm like glad yeah. we have that I just wish that the wound I'm not I like I'm not going to say that you shouldn't <laughs> like do the kinds of fixes that you can um, but like the, if you want to fix the problem the problem is not OnlyFans the problem is you a deeper ha- thing do you have an idea what that problem is at a deeper level? And if it, it is solvable more, uh, more directly? I mean, there's like, a, 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 things are very complicated. It's not that there's only one explanation for things, but one of the things like my, like a grand conspiracy theory, which I don't necessarily have good data to back this up, but I kind of feel like we're in a culture where men are expendable now in a way that women aren't like uh, men. Well, I mean, men have always kind of been expendable, but like men would go die in wars. Men used to be useful. Men used to have like clear, coherent sacrifice. Like, ah, you do this like really intense thing that women don't have to do. Like, that's a big thing. Women have to do the whole childbirth and, you know, be like owned or by men or something. Uh, I think this is like kind of an equilibrium in which like people sort of, there's the large conceptual like valuing of each other. But now mm-hmm. the sacrifice that men has to pay has largely been lifted. Like men aren't dying in wars or fighting bears, but the sacrifice women has to pay, the womb thing is still going on. We haven't solved that problem yet. And so we're like, we disproportionately see the effort that women are putting in and not what men are. And so I think culturally, we just are like, why men though? 
like what sacrifice are men giving to society in a way that I think is like starting to seep into like our sex dynamics into like, uh, like our culture, like woke, uh, the politics, whatever, like pickup artistry. Like, this is why I think we're having like men be such, um, like why we're in a culture where men are very afraid to act on women and women are so powerful. I'm like, I'm very pro women being powerful. Don't get me wrong. I was raised in a horrible conservative environment where women were expected to be housewives. I'm not, I think I, I view this world with like a great deal of very personal, like pain and hatred. So I'm not like advocating. I'm like very happy about it. But I just think like it comes from sort of like, we just happen to arrive in this thing where like men, I, I, my guess is that this is the thing that's leading partially to OnlyFans. Like why men? Now, if men want to have a role, now we've created the role nicely packaged in a little website that you, where you get like the, the happy button, the little heroin in your cage. Mm-hmm. It's quite sad. I think Got we need it. to invent artificial rooms to fix it. Yeah. And when I think why men, it's like, well, we have an answer for a subset of men for the top 10, 20%, like to make a ton of money, be hugely successful. Like there, we do, you know, we need some of the men, but yeah, it's like, why these men? What do we, what is the use for the majority or the bottom section? And you're pointing to in the past is like we still had a lot of labor we had we needed these sacrifices in wars like we there was there was a role for that person to fulfill move up and uh i don't know contribute in in a in a meaningful way and when there is no game that they can or it feels like perhaps there's an unwinnable game in front of them and no great war to go die in uh yeah, yeah there's that section it's like why what are you doing you're just not mm. right I hear like, you. And women are beating out men like college. Like women are getting more educated. They're earning more money. Like women are having like trouble, you know, finding the high quality husband. It's like TikToks about like, why don't men go to therapy? Like it seems to be like this giant cultural thing towards like women are higher quality than men now. I don't think this is an accident. I think this is directly related to why we have OnlyFans. So. Got it. I, yeah. And and so you see OnlyFans. It's like, look, this is not ideal, but this is this is the market response to a societal <laughs> ailment that is better than nothing because yeah. without this it's like oh they don't have the pretend girlfriend well then they don't even have that you know yeah, right now they have a <laughs> got it yeah okay the counter to that would be well then they pick themselves up by their bootstraps they work really hard they go get they go interact in real life but you're but you're suggesting and i think perhaps rightly so that like for there's still going to be a subset of guys that like isn't going to go get the real girlfriend or isn't going to go yeah, get this is cruel like and yeah. and a double standard like mm-hmm. we expect the guys to go pull themselves up by their bootstraps in a way that we don't expect women to mm-hmm. like like men like we don't have general societal sympathy for men and i think that this is also a backfire because it sort of removes agency from women like if men have the level of agency that we expect them to handle their own problems like by contrast this means that we expect society to handle women so that women don't have the agency themselves mm-hmm. so i think it's like a shitty Thing that hurts both people like i think if we're going to be consistent as a culture i'm not saying we ha- we could move the consistency to a completely different frame but i'm saying if we want to be consistent with, with what we have now we should be like dude we should help the men we shouldn't just like it's not like their fault really like like culture society has let them down it's like our responsibility to to help you do you have an idea what that help might look like artificial wounds. <laughs> oh, God. Like, I can't, like a little conspiracy brain on this right now. Uh, like, I just, I think like partially this is just like an emergent phenomenon from like our like post-scarcity and post-tech. Like if you start like fucking with society's norms from an evolved species, you're going to get like really weird shit where there's imbalances going on. Mm. And my guess is like we need to like remove the thing that like women's, we removed men's sacrifice, but now we need to remove women's. 
because otherwise like women are just going to be considered to be more valuable. Mm. Got it. We removed men's sacrifice, their reason, their purpose, their unique contribution, even if they're at the bottom of the hierarchy and they're, but women still have their thing that men are desperate for and need and want. And so you have these, got it. Well, well, it's also like, I think we would, as a society would handle men a lot with a lot more respect if they were off dying in wars. Mm. Well, I mean, I see that in Ukraine, you know, which is like, oh, what, why men? It's like, I, we know now, <laughs> you know, why men, we need mm. to feel the why men. And we just don't, we, we have the visceral contact with why women. No visceral contact with white men. I'm not saying we should go back to killing men in wars. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know. I know. <laughs> I was just thinking somebody's going to think that. Yeah, what, what I was going to jump in and say is it sounds like, and maybe this isn't what you're suggesting, but what I would hope in my, you know, weirdly spiritual Buddhist way is that when we can remove the why men to fight in wars, why women to make the next generation, it's like, can we just have, as cheesy as this sound, people who are companions to one another with technology supporting them? I guess this is like a technology utopia um where people are free to uh the answer to why men is because i love and like that person and i want to be near them not because they provide me the resources that i need to continue my survival on this planet um well my guess is that this is less happening on an individual level and more like a general societal one like i don't think people are personally being like why men people are reciting narratives that have like come from culture about like, ah, you know, men should cry more. Men should go to therapy. Men should like be less shitty, right? Like people didn't just sit down and think those things independently. They like, they're fed to us from like the general milieu or how you pronounce that word. And where did the milieu come from? I think the milieu just like slowly evolved based on like tiny, like billions of tiny observations of, of the why men problem. Mm. So. Uh, got it. No, that, that helps me a lot. Cause the, the, the thing that you answered for me, which you answered right at the beginning, is OnlyFans didn't make the problem. OnlyFans is a Band-Aid on top yep. of the problem. Yet, is it the cleanest Band-Aid? No. Is it, is it the ideal solution? No. But you're not going to fix the problem by shutting down OnlyFans or shutting down these things or telling the people who do this that this isn't right. The problem is that there is this, there is this need, this demand for this kind of service because it is not available elsewhere. Um, yeah depressing no <laughs> but i appreciate i appreciate the insight um so there's, let's go ahead there's also i don't know if we want to keep going down a road but there i had like two points and the other one was Please. you were saying like isn't it sad that like you have these men who are kind of desperate for connection and then mm -hmm. the women are just sort of you know maybe using an agency or something and i i like i am so on one hand i'm quite sympathetic to this because like i kind of know what this is like it's a very asymmetric thing but on the other hand like to be fair guys don't care about you. Like, this is a hard truth I had to learn. Like when I first started doing sex work, I was like, oh, I'm just gonna be, like I said, I'm gonna be genuine and guys will see that and like me. And I rapidly learned that, oh no, they don't like me. They like, they the, what they want to see is like their fantasy fulfillment girl. They don't want a real girl. They want like literally like the fakest possible version. And so eventually I was like, oh, this is like really dehumanizing for me. Like it's not about me. And once I realized that, then I stopped having like, like moral compunctions about it. I was like, fine. Like, yeah. if you don't want to see me, I'm not going to give me to you. Like, you just want this thing that doesn't exist, whatever. Thank you for saying that. You just drove home exactly what I was 
stumbling around, which is, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's dehumanizing on both sides and it, yeah. and you know, without who comes first, but yeah, totally. They're there for like, you describe it, their fantasy toy that uh, makes them feel superior to other men. And, and, you know, loves taking her top off to do this and has no needs and doesn't need you to listen about her day or her family, unless it's something that you're thrilled with. And you, and on the other end, it's like, this is someone who can give me money. Yeah. That, I see that as the thing that we would, I don't know if it's avoidable, but people using one another as means to ends instead of as, you know, ends in themselves. So like you said, you shut up genuine, authentic with parts of you that might match what they want and parts of you that don't. And they're like, no, 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 I'll take the, uh, I'll take the pristine, perfect, you know, nonstop orgasm loves to take her top off for me package. And you're like, fine, you can pay for that. Cause that's not me. <laughs> yep. Um, Got it. Yeah. Yeah, This is a big question and you don't have to have an answer. Like is, okay. So OnlyFans is a representation of that mutual dehumanization. And so are many other industries. I don't mean to like so much of the world is that, um, how does that stop? (laughs) I don't, I don't know. Like, like on one hand, it kind of doesn't like on Mm -hmm. one hand, this is just built into us. Like we want the unreasonable thing is Mm -hmm. what was just going to be there until we can like modify our own brains. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, I like, so to be fair, I still try my best to be genuine when I can. I'm like looking for openings. Like if a guy gives just a single hint that he like wants me as a person, I'm like, on it. I'm ready. Um, so it's like, there's still, there's still space in there, but I think escorting was way better, way healthier for me. In my opinion, it's like the most healthy version of sex work. Cause like all the other shit is like asymmetrical and it's just naturally, like the guys are trying to gain, getting the most out of the girls and the girls are trying to gain, getting the most money out of the guys. But like escorting is just two people sitting down for dinner, having a one-on-one conversation. And it's like the most like close to normal human interaction that you can get. And I think thus like avoids a lot of the pitfalls that emerge from online sex work shit. And I felt the most connected to people when I was with them in person. And I enjoyed the sex the most, the sexual experiences, even even if it like wasn't great all the sure, time. I sure. Still, And it just felt healthy. I came out of that feeling good about myself. Whereas with like OnlyFans, a lot of the time, a lot of the people who message me, I come out of it being like, this is a job. This is a job that I'm doing because I'm thinking about how much I like money. Right. Yeah. But but that's pretty, it was awesome. And I just like, I feel like in my ideal world, it would be like, we would just be subsidizing (laughs) escorts. So, you know, you know, it's, so I have a YouTube channel, which is my main source. And, uh, it's not unlike what you described, which is I can make a video and I can put my heart into it and I can try, but because it's the nature of the internet, I want more views because more views means more sales and more sales means more money. And I, I felt so disconnected versus I would go to like, hey, let's have a meetup and we'll get lunch together. And I would hang out with three people instead of three million. And it was like, oh, this is it. So yeah. it's a it's a trite observation but the the scale of the internet which is so appealing for financial reasons is so destructive to the human connection piece of things which is i guess what enables you to stop dehumanizing people in the first place is like when you are sitting down to dinner with the girl that you just paid as to do escort like i i would imagine you want to know her at that point versus when you're doing an only fans like i just want you to pretend i like just fake it for me um the other thing that that occurs to me and I, I i wonder if this is true for you is that um for me in my the singular experience of my own life what has helped me to dehumanize people less is psychedelics um and through the journey of psychedelics is uh being able to meet more of my own needs directly 
through, you know, oh, I can, my internal systems are reconfiguring or rather than coming at it sideways, trying to get what I want from someone else by presenting this cool traveler, likable version of myself that a woman could then give validation back to, I'm able to be more authentic to how I feel in the moment, understanding that that might not match exactly what makes her, you know, want to reflect her beauty, light, affection towards me and sit okay with that in a way that I, that I was less comfortable with before. It was like, fuck authenticity, not fuck authenticity, but uh, receiving approval was of a higher order than uh, receiving it for authentic reasons was, I think. All right, so everybody got to do psychedelics. It's not OnlyFans' fault. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it helps. If we all did it, we might drive my income, so. (laughs) Well, I think that's it um, in terms of the questions that I had. Thank you so much for for taking the time. I want to direct people to whatever it is that you're working on, whether it's your Twitter. So, like, what what do you have going on? Thanks. Well, you can find most of my stuff from my website, knowingless.com. You can find links to all of the other things. But I also have a Twitter, Girl A-E-L-L-A, underscore girl. Please do not forget the underscore. Otherwise, you will get nudity. Mm. Um, but yeah. And then I have like, I don't know, a card game. If you want to play Ask Cole. Oh, wait. I think I have Ask Cole. Oh, I saw that on your website. I, I, I think that's super cool. Do you want to yeah. do one? Okay. What, do you, what kind of... What kind of? We don't have to. If you've, gotta, if you've got to get going, we can. Or this is a... This is a we'll little, do a fast one. We'll do a fast one. Okay. What category do you want? You want romantic, sad, thoughtful, controversial? Controversial. Oh God. Why did I say that? Okay. Let's do controversial. Okay. okay I'm not going to pick that one. <laughs> uh, how do society's morals differ from your own? How do society's morals differ from my own? Well, towards the positive side, I'd say I lean towards thinking that um, animal this is, this is not that uncommon, that the way that we treat animals will be viewed uh, as an abomination in the future, uh, particularly in factory farms. So I'm pretty clear there. Um, I also think that there's a much, it shouldn't be governmental, but that the wealthy should give probably more to charity than they do. Um, and um, I'll, think, I'll give you one more. How does society's morals differ? I think that people lie this makes me sound really good. I think people lie constantly way too much all the time. I think we give passes for it. When I see people marketing stuff, it's just full of lies and their fan base has no issue. Like that's the game. And I think that's the seemingly white lies that we permit and accept are really messed up and create a lot of bad downstream uh, effects. You should pull your audience to see if they agree with you. Do you think that those are very common? uh, I guess they'll agree with you. Okay, so maybe I didn't, uh, I missed the spirit of the question. Damn. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's like something you're pointing at though, which is like we seem yeah. to have a norm that like nobody else, else seems to be really outraged about. Yeah. All right. Well, so you show me, show me what a uh, controversial answer <laughs> looks like to that one if you have one. Where is society's morals different? Um, I mean, so I think the meat eating thing is good. Mm-hmm. Like I think there's a good chance that like the majority of your, your followership is a great that. I think that's also mine. Like I think we're probably um, going to look back on meat eating. Uh, with like similar horror to other horrors, which I'm not going to say because people get mad. Yeah. At me. Yep. Yep. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, although I do eat meat, so got it. Yeah. Cool. So not to not guilt free, but yeah. Thank you. This was lovely. Thank you so much, Ayla. Um, I'll send people to your thing, and yeah, that's it. Boom. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.